Today, we are going to be continuing our series on the book of Colossians entitled, More of Jesus. And my hope and prayer for you today is that as we open the scriptures together, that you would experience a revelation of who Jesus is and what it means for you in your life. My prayer is that the mystery of Christ would be made plain to you and that your picture of Jesus would become clear. My hope is that as you leave, that you would walk away with the desire to see more of Jesus. Our title for our sermon is The Supremacy of Christ. And before we really sink our teeth into the meat of Colossians today, uh, I want us to take a step back and understand the, the setting within which the book of Colossians is written. It's very important to our understanding. Because if we're really clear on the context, it will rightly shape our understanding and it will affect how we read this passage in turn. Uh, Paul is expressing thanks to uh, and for the Colossians' unique expression of their relationship with Christ. Uh, as Jamie mentioned last week, the book of Colossians is written to the, the Colossians who were living in Colossae under the rule and reign of the Roman Empire at that time. And so the Colossians were looking to Paul for guidance on how they should live and understand Jesus in relation to the Roman Empire who was ruling them. Uh, and so to get a better understanding of the cultural and spiritual environment of that time, just imagine living in a community under the rule of another culture. It's hard for us to grasp as Americans because, you know, we're so isolated and independent and so self-sufficient as a country. But basically imagine Fort Worth culture, people, and values ruled by a foreign government and law enforcement. The point is that life would look very different for us. Our reality and our lifestyles would be different. Add into the mix the cultural and spiritual complexity of the Roman Empire viewing uh, their, their leaders and governing authorities like Julius Caesar as demigods, and it really, things get really challenging, and it really convolutes the spiritual environment that the Colossians are living in. It challenges the very fiber, makeup, and legality of their faith. Paul is simply trying to bring clarity to the Colossians and admonish them to continue in their faith uh, right where they're at. See, Jesus has already come. He's already died. And now Paul is preaching to them in such a way that he is redefining reality for them. And he's describing how they have been rescued to really live, like Jamie's me message was titled last week. In short, the Colossians are seeking answers to the implications of the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus upon their day-to-day -day lives. For those of you who are Christians in this room, I would guess that at some level, you're, you're genuinely trying to follow Jesus. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in this room. You're trying to integrate him into your day-to-day -day life. One of the primary ways that we do that is through gaining instruction through reading the Word of God. If you're anything like me, there are often times that I read the Bible, and I, and, and I think, how does this actually apply to my life in today's day and age, in today's culture? See, there's nothing worse than getting a task or responsibility or assignment and being called to it at work or in school without the necessary means to actually carry out and accomplish the task. It's pretty frustrating. See, if we're not able to contextualize and apply the Word of God to our lives, then we will end up frustrated, discouraged, and disillusioned by the Word of God and eventually wander from our faith. So I want to help us today to contextualize and help apply the word of, God, word of God in your life today. It's very important for us. 
Secondly, oftentimes we read the Bible uh, simply as instructions on how I can become a better person. Now, I think that's a very noble task, and we all in this room should seek to become better people. But we have to understand that the majority of the New Testament is written to groups of people, not just individuals. Now, within these uh, letters, there are obviously instructions that apply specifically to the individual, but we have to understand the broad stroke and the context within which the message is being written, okay? Uh, and that will help shape our understanding. See, uh, the best way I really believe to understand the Christian life is it within the context of community, within the context of the body of Christ. Jesus himself describes himself as the head of the church, his body. If you join with me and turning to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23 for our scripture passage this morning that we'll be in. And this is such an incredible passage of scripture. I mean, as I was preparing for this message, I literally, you know, one day I just took the time to, to just read the whole book of Colossians out loud. If you, have, if you have the opportunity this week, I encourage you to do that same thing. There's something about reading the word of God out loud that just brings it to life. And I was praying through this passage this week, and man, there is so much. This is like a really, really thick passage of Scripture. So I encourage you in your times with the Lord, take some time in Colossians this week. Take some time to meditate on the Word of God. I'm going to give you some encouragements. I'm going to give you some practicals. I'm going to give you some handles. But ultimately, I believe God wants to speak to you himself. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. And so I encourage you to take time to create space in your life to meet with Jesus. Read with me, starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to you and to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Amen. It's like one of the Colossians came up to Paul and they asked him, so who is God? Who am I? And why should I care? Who is God? Who am I? And why should I care? And those are the three questions that I really want to hone in on and focus on and seek to answer this morning because I believe this passage of Scripture speaks powerfully to those questions. I don't know why you decided to show up today. I don't know why you decided to come to church today. You maybe uh, have drifted from God and you've just come in here because you're wanting to give God a second chance. Maybe you've drifted it. You've come into this room because 
you're, you're not yet a Christian, but you're interested. You're interested in what does it actually look like and mean to follow Jesus? Or maybe you're in this room simply because you're always in church on Sunday mornings and you're always in this room. So no matter where you are, no matter which category you feel like you fall under, I believe that at some, to some extent we're all asking the questions, who is God, who am I, and why should I care? And the thing is, is that this morning I want to bring us back to the Word of God because I believe we need continual revelation from God in those three areas. We need continual revelation from God to keep our relationship with Him fresh and alive and strong. So let's begin this morning by seeking to answer the first question I presented us. Who is Jesus? Who is God? Like many of you in this room, I grew up in a single parent household and I grew up without a spiritual father in the home and it left a void, it left a gap in my life. And thankfully through the context of the church, I began to learn who Jesus was. But despite that, I began to try and earn my approval and my sense of self-worth and what I was able to do and accomplish and perform, the way I was able to perform uh, uh, at school and in extracurricular activities. I began to seek to fill this void that was in my heart by, the, by gaining the approval of people, and I still struggle with that at times. You see, I was chasing an identity in other things when I, was, when I should have been chasing it from my heavenly Father. I was pursuing something. I was pursuing an identity. I was just pursuing it the wrong way. So we can be pursuing the right thing, but pursuing it the wrong way, and it will lead to the wrong result. But thankfully, I found Jesus. Thankfully, I had youth leaders who invested in my life and pointed me to Jesus. My intentions were good, but my practices were wrong because I didn't know who Jesus was. I hadn't had his revelation made real in my heart. So it matters how we view God. If we view God as a distant father who's abandoned us, many of us in this room have father wounds, and it affects how we view God. If you've ever seen The Sandlot, it's one of my favorite movies, but in the movie, the whole premise is they're trying to get this baseball back that they've hit over the fence that was signed by Babe Ruth the Sultan of Swats. And they, they're so scared and they're trying to devise all these ways to get into the backyard and, and get their baseball back. And if you've, wa- if you've seen the movie, at the end of the movie, they're like, well, why don't you just go knock on the guy's door? And they're like, no, you can't do that. You know, the guy that lives there, he's just mean and angry. And they go and they're at their last resort. So they go knock on his door. He's like, sure, I'll go get it to you. And so they spent this whole time, their whole summer, trying to get this ball back when they could have just gone and knocked on the guy's door. And so many times, I think, in our relationship with God, we have this idea of God, and our idea of God affects how we relate to Him and how we interact with Him. And so if we think God is angry and mad at us and, and, and disappointed in us, these things, maybe your father has communicated to you, or you feel like your father is disappointed with you or discouraged with you or mad at you. You don't want to be around him. In the same way, we relate to God in that way. But when we see God for who he is, when we see God rightly, we'll go right to his door. We will ask, we will seek, we will knock, and we will receive what we've asked for, what we've sought for, and the door will be open to us. You see, our perception of God is very important, y'all. 
It shapes our relationship and how we interact with Jesus. My hope is to give us a right view of God and our understanding of him so that he can heal us from the inside out. In pre-service prayer today, we just felt like God was saying he wants to heal some people today. He wants to heal some people's hearts. So who is Jesus? Well, according to the word of God, just in this passage, Jesus is a couple things. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He's the creator of all things, visible and invisible, rulers, authorities, powers, and thrones. He is the one who holds all things together. He is the head of the church. He is the firstborn from among the dead. He is the fullness of God. He is the reconciler of humanity to God. He is the peacemaker. He is the one who makes mankind clean. He is the proclaimer of a new gospel. He is the revelation of God. Are you kidding? This is just eight verses, y'all. I'm just, this is just from these eight verses. Man, this fires me up. This is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. And if this, this is who God is, I want to know him. And I want to know more about him. And I want him to be my father. Amen? One of my favorite activities is to declare the names of God, just like I've just done. And I think there's something uh, that helps us to experience God when we begin to declare his nature and his true identity. And so we are a participatory church. And so we're going to take a few moments. And I just want you to shout out a name of God or a way that you have experienced God's character in your life. Love, Father. Faithful. Kind, Jehovah Jireh. Provider, grace. Redeemer, healer. Restorer. Comforter, Prince of Peace. Amen. I mean, I, I could do that all morning, right? But you don't even need to hear me preach, right? Man, when you see God, when you see Jesus, your life will be changed because you will see him as he is. My first point today is that Jesus is the image of God and we are called to fix our eyes on him. When we have this revelation of who God is, what type of response should this bring in our lives? What type of response should this elicit in our hearts, right? When we begin to see Jesus as somebody that we can actually have a relationship with. He's no longer just an ideal. He's no longer just a guy up in the clouds. He's a, he's a person. He's a real person that we can have a relationship with through the Holy Spirit. And so our response should be to fix our eyes on him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 puts it this way. And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image and ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This summer, I had the opportunity to visit the Black Hills of South Dakota with my wife, where where she's from. And uh, I got to go see Mount Rushmore for the first time. Incredible. It's really cool. Here we are. this is what I call the presidential photobomb. I hate it when presidents photobomb me. Uh, and then the next picture here, we got, um, this is me and my, my in-laws. And we just had, it, it was just a beautiful experience. It was a beautiful time. And uh, history lesson is, you know, you, you should know who's on uh, the Mount Rushmore. But in case you can't remember, it's Washington, Jefferson, Roosevelt, 
and my man, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting now, uh, Washington, Jefferson, Roosevelt, and Honest Abe. How can I forget Honest Abe? Yes, and so, man, but it's really crazy to see, um, see it up in person. I'd never seen it in person, and you know, it, it was crazy because it took them 14 years to build Mount Rushmore, and this was before, like, modern, you know, like, construction equipment. These guys are literally hanging off the side of that cliff in just, like, this rankety chair. I mean, it was, but nobody died. Nobody died in the, con- I, I, I don't know, in case you're wondering. Uh, nobody died in the construction of Mount Rushmore. But I was just thinking about it, and I'm like, there, there's so many things that America could have done to embody who we are as a nation and remember these, these great presidents and leaders. They could have etched in there their signatures or their list of accomplishments or a picture of their tombstone or, uh, you know, all the different things they did or bills they passed. But for some reason, they chose to etch in stone on the side of a mountain their faces, right? Their faces, because there's something powerful about the face. The faces help us remember people. Turn to your neighbor and say, I like your face. It's okay. I like your face. We're all, we're all secure. Uh, see, Jesus is kind of like Mount Rushmore. No, not etched in stone. No, not a photo bomber. But uh, just like Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, and Roosevelt are the image bearers of American history and embody the values of our nation. So Jesus is the image bearer of God. And he is wanting to impart that image to us. Except unlike those men, Jesus is alive to this day. So who is Jesus? He is the diplomat sent from heaven on behalf of God. He is the image of the invisible God. So why is this significant? Well, as we gaze into the face of Jesus and contemplate his glory, we are being shaped into his image. Jesus is literally chiseling us out of the rock, chiseling us out of the stone, and forming us into his image. He's taking us out of the dust, and he's forming us into his image. He is the potter. We are the clay. From dust we have come, to dust we will return. But sometimes as we go through life, Jesus is chipping away at the part of us that doesn't look like him, and we don't like it, and it hurts, right? And that's a process of sanctification And it requires humility to allow God to have access to our lives, to chisel away the parts of us that don't look like him. We all, you know, glory, glory, hallelujah. But when we start talking about brokenness, sometimes brokenness hurts. But the point is, is that the reason why God leads us through seasons of brokenness is to shape us into his image. And so that we look more like him. And so we're not a jerk to people. Man, we need to be shaped into the image of God. I'm so glad that God loves me enough not to leave me where I'm at. Amen? God loves you so much that he's not going to leave you where you're at. He's going to lead you forward into something greater. He's going to lead you through something that's truly going to transform you. We're all on a journey to become more like Jesus. All of us in this room. Every person. And if you're anything like me, it's easy for me to focus on my deficiencies and where I don't measure up, where I don't uh, make the grade, make the cut. But when I look at my life, when I look back at my life and the journey that God has had me on, I'm so thankful that, that God has been with me, that he's brought me from where I was to where I am today. And I look back and, 
you know, even though I, I think about maybe I, you know, I, I don't want be where I want to, I'm not, I'm not where I want to be, but I, I look back and I'm like, man, at least I'm not where I was, you know? You may look at yourself, you may, you may think, you know, man, I'm not, I'm not where I want to be. Like, I'm not as successful as I want to be. I'm not as holy as I want to be. I'm not as good a father as I want to be. But take a moment and just look back and say, man, at least I'm not where I was. You know, like God has brought me out of the pit. He's brought me out of the miry clay and he's dusted me off and he's set me on, on my feet. Jesus is, he's at work in your life. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. He's at work in your life today. He's at work in your life and he's leading you forward. Hebrews 12, 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, we are called, and I want to submit to you that the most important task of the body of Christ is to fix our eyes on Jesus. Today, I believe that God wants to use this passage to instruct us and guide us into a knowledge of God, not just for information about who he is, but also a revelation of how to gaze upon the beauty of Christ. Can you imagine if I never actually looked my wife in the eyes? We're called to look Jesus in the face, in the eyes, because that's how we get to know him. That's how we truly, that's how I understand my wife. If I really want to know what she's feeling, I just look at her face, and I can figure it out pretty quickly, right? And so if we want to know the heart of God, we have to gaze into the heart and the eyes of God. God wants to reveal himself to us, which brings us to our second question of who am I? So who is God and who am I? See, when I know who I belong to, it informs the way I am to live and where I belong. Let me say it again. When I know who I belong to, it informs the way I am to live and where I belong. So who are you? Who are you, really? Who are you? Uh, If I have any dog owners in the house, there's probably been some point in your dog owning experience where your dog has escaped, right? He has, he has run away. And so this morning, I'm going to affectionately refer to our dog as Skittles, if that's all right. Um, and, and Skittles has gotten out of the backyard. I know, terrible. Uh, but he, he's happy as can be, right? Skittles is free. He's been set free from your backyard. And uh, he's just wandering around the neighborhood, and he doesn't know that he's lost. He doesn't know that he's causing you and your family a minor heart attack. He just knows that he doesn't have to follow the rules of the house anymore, and he can go wherever he wants, and he can run wherever he wants. The problem with, with this is that Skittle starts to get a little mangling. He starts to, starts to get a little stinky, and uh, he starts to get dirty, and he starts to stink, and he starts to live off the trash dump just trying to, trying to make it. And uh, poor Skittles, he no longer gets the love of his family and his cozy little dog bed. Uh, His family is heartbroken and goes out searching for hours while the kids are crying and the sky is falling, right? Amen. Some of you guys have been there. It's a silly illustration, but my point is too many times we're just like Skittles. We think we know what's best for us and we reject our father's household and we try to go our own way because we think we know what's best. We don't want to be bound by the rules and regulations of the household. We want to be free. But when we forget that God, we are God's creation and we get distracted from the purpose and provision that God has for us, we leave the covering and house of God 
like Skittles to try to make it on our own. We foolishly think that we know better than God. I know I've done this. Our misunderstanding of ourselves as sons and daughters of God leads us astray into a life of an orphan having to fend for him or herself just like Skittles. See, we want to be free, but true freedom is only found in Jesus. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Just like in Luke 15, we have gone astray and the Father is out looking for us. Our Heavenly Father wants us to return to Him. He wants to give us a better life. You see, life is better with Jesus in the middle of it. So who are you? You are God's creation. As stated in verse 16, you are His son or daughter. You are made for a relationship with Him. See, I tend to treat myself and others much better when I see myself and others as creations of God. Really. I tend to treat myself and others much better when I see myself and others as creations of God. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you are God's creation, and I will treat you that way. Go ahead. It's okay. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I am God's creation, and I will treat myself that way. Amen, right? Amen. We need to see ourselves as creations of God. So who are you? You are a creation of God. Verse 21 and 22 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. You see, apart from God, we aren't just a good person. We're actually enemies of Christ, alienated and separated from him. And I don't want to be that way. But Jesus came and died on the cross so we could be made friends of God, reconciled to him, made holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So easily, I don't know about you, but I forget that truth. I forget that reality and I forget my identity. I forget who I am, you know. We need to be reminded of it. Last week, Jamie shared some of his daily expectations, ways of reminding himself of his identity. And and if Jamie needs to do it, And he's been walking with the Lord for 20 plus years. I know I need to do it. Amen. And so I thought we could continue this morning with the next two paragraphs of those expectations because they so powerfully paint a picture and answer the question of who am I and how we can gain a deeper understanding of who we are as children of God. There's power in your words. There's power in your words. And I want to encourage you to use them to speak truth and life over yourself. I want to read for us. I am destined to be conformed to the image of Christ. I am focused on Christ. I desire Christ to become like Christ. I expect to find identity, acceptance, significance, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. I expect my character, thoughts, and actions to reflect him. I am a man of integrity and purity. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He is the Lord of my family, my ministry, my relationships, my money, and my time. For me, my very life means Christ. I am filled and empowered by God's Spirit, and I expect to keep on continually being filled with His Spirit, resulting in a life of worship, thanksgiving, daily submission, and lasting fruit. I expect God's power to be released in my life for salvation, healing, deliverance, and hope. I expect to see the fruit of the Spirit growing and the gifts of the Spirit operating in my life. Come on, right? Amen. And so these are on our website. 
And so I encourage you, go print them off every morning. Look yourself in the mirror and begin to declare the truth of who God says you are over your life. I guarantee you, your life will change. I, I actually, I dare you to do it. Really. I dare you to take this and do it for seven days and don't see, and I, 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 I promise you there will be a change. I promise you there will be a change. We need to know who we are. If we know who God is and we know who we are and how we can remind ourselves of who we are, let's answer the final question of why should I care? I believe our culture is asking the question, who is God, who am I, and why should I care? Our culture is asking the question, who is God, who am I, and why should I care who Jesus is? Why does that have any implication on my life? Let's read verse 16 again. It says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. By him all things were created, by him and for him. Sorry, I, I missed, I missed. For by him, so, excuse me, whether invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. By God and for God. So not only were you made by God, but you were made for God. You see that? Lots of people understand that they were created by God, but not everybody understands that they were made, they were also made for God. You were made by God and for God. Your life is meant to be lived for God. That's the one reason you were created. You're not created to, to gratify your flesh or just to live a comfortable life or simply survive and make, make it to the age of 70. No, you're made for more. You're made for God. This means that your life has meaning and purpose. Really, it means your life has meaning and purpose if you're made by God and for God. You see, even when you don't have vision or purpose for your life, God has purpose for you. He is carrying purpose for your life. Don't minimize your life. Really, don't minimize your life. Your life is valuable. Go to school for God's glory. <clears throat> Work for God's glory. Parent for God's glory. Do business for God's glory. Do health care for God's glory. Work on AC units for God's glory. Are you getting the picture. You are made by God and for God. Otherwise, God would not have gone to the trouble of creating you. You're made with a purpose. Why should you care? Because when we know Jesus, we learn what we were made for. When we know Jesus, we learn what we were made for. It's much more than a vocation. It's about the intentions and motivations of our heart being directed towards bringing God glory. And if they are, we can be sure that we're living in the purpose that God has for us and the glorious reality that we've been made by him and for him. Why should you care? Because when you know who Jesus is, who you are, your life will become a beautiful picture to the world of the redemption of God and a life well lived. I want to encourage you and invite you to, as the worship band comes forward to stand up with me as we close our service. See, my hope for you today is that by the grace of God, that you have come to the realization that you are made for more and it begins with more of Jesus. So if you're in this room today and you don't yet know Jesus, you say, who is God? And you would say, I don't really know who God is. I wouldn't really say I have a relationship with God. Jesus came to the earth. He lived a perfect life and he died on the cross for your sins, for my sins. And that if we would believe that he is the son of God and he has rose from the grave, that we can have eternal life. 
that we can become sons and daughters of God himself. If you're in this room this morning and you have not yet given your life for Jesus to, to Jesus, today is your day. Today is your day to give your life to Jesus. The second group of people I want to speak to and I felt like God was highlighting is you're asking the question of who am I? You're living under the cloud of condemnation, of shame, of insecurity, and God wants to come and speak some identity over you this morning. And the third group I felt like God was highlighting was those of you that you would say, man, my life is just lacking purpose. I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like I'm wandering aimlessly in a desert. I believe God wants to bring purpose to you today. Jesus, we thank you that you are the king of kings, that you are the image of the invisible God, and we choose to fix our eyes on you this morning. God, would you come and would you wipe away our sins so that we can know you and bring us into relationship? Would you wipe away the insecurity and the shame from us? And would you set our feet on a rock and would you give us purpose? You would take us out of the desert of loneliness and despair and lead us into a place of meaning, of purpose, of intentionality. We need you, Jesus. We want to see your face this morning. We want to gaze into the eyes of our Savior. Worship with me. If you need prayer for any of those things, please come forward and get prayer.